We are going to be learning about abiding today, guys. Jesus calls us to abide in him and for him to abide in us. Have you ever wondered why you can't seem to bear much fruit? Why in your life you can't seem to be as much like Jesus as you try? I mean, you come to messages like this. You come to church services and you go home and and you try. Have you ever wondered why do I not succeed at all? Or maybe you have been, or maybe you're trying to, and we have lots of questions. What does it even mean to abide, Brother Alex? And this is something that Jesus commanded of his disciples, to learn to abide. Have you, ever, have you looked at your life recently and seen no sincere or genuine fruit in your efforts for the kingdom of God? Jesus has the answers for these questions that you have. He calls us to fruitfulness, to obedience, to accomplish true lasting work for the kingdom of God. And this is impossible without abiding. We talked last time about faith. This week we will discover abiding in God's word and find out how we can be better servants of our Lord. In the passage we're turning to, that's John 15. Everybody turn to John 15. In the passage that we're turning to right now, Jesus is giving one long final message before being betrayed by Judas and falsely accused and laying his life down and conquering death and sin once for all. Amen. This great speech is full of doctrine, promise, love, and comfort for his disciples that he will physically be leaving here on earth. It is even capped off with the Son of God praying his great high priestly prayer in John 17. In John 17, you guys should read it on your own. It's awesome. Imagine being in a prayer meeting and everybody goes around the room and we start with James and we go to Cole and then we go to Joe and then we go to Sam and then we go to Jesus, right? And then after we're all done praying to our Father, it's the Son praying to the Father. It's God talking to God. It's two parts of the Godhead communicating in English right in front of us. It was actually in Greek back then. That's an amazing thing. And this long speech is capped off in John 17 with that. But we're going to be in John 15 tonight. John 15, 1 says this. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. He says here that he, Jesus, he is the true vine. If you were to break off a branch from a tree, if you were to go outside right now and find, we'd get Sam with his broken hand, and Sam would climb up a tree, and we would see, like, this tree looks healthy. Sam climbed up there, and he climbed, he gets a branch off, he had to break it off because it's a tree that's alive, it's got all that green stuff, and he comes down, and some of that green stuff's poking out. You know what that green stuff is? That's the vine. That's what Jesus was referencing, that the branch inside of it, the stuff that has all the life, the stuff that has all the nutrients, that green stuff is the vine. And Jesus says, I'm like that. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. My father's the gardener. My father is the one who goes to the trees, who goes to the plants, who goes to the flowers and he goes and he tends and he cares and he, he nips the buds off of this one and gives nutrients to the other one. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father, God the father, is the husbandman. The vine was what brings life to a branch. The outer coating of a branch is nothing without the inner vine. Imagine, guys, ever debarked a tree or pulled that brown layer off of a vine? Any of you girls done that too? And you just take that branch and you just mutilate it, right? You're just like torturing it for no reason. Trees could cry, it'd probably be crying. And you're peeling off that brown stuff, right? Jesus says that that's us. That brown skin on that branch 
That that is us. That that is what Jesus is calling the branch. Jesus is the vine on the inside, and we are just that brown branch stuff on the outside. The vine brings life, and Jesus says that he's not just a vine. He is the true vine. He brings true life. Can I get an amen? Jesus brings true life. He brings forth true fruit. Let me say that again. He brings true life, and he brings forth true fruit. He also states that while he is the life inside all the branches that he is in, the Father is the one who comes about and tends and cares for the branches. Verse 2, everybody look in there. Verse 2, every branch in me, this is Jesus talking, that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So here we've got a parable, right? And Jesus gives us two branches, two categories. Everybody looking here, right? And on this one side, we've got branches that have what? No fruit. And then over here, we have branches that have? With fruit. So we got no fruit and we got with fruit. No fruit, with fruit. There's two, two categories, And Jesus is giving us two categories, not just of shrubbery, but instead he's giving us two categories of people. Two categories of people who call themselves Christians, who attach themselves to the tree of Jesus Christ. And he says we have branches that have no fruit, and we have branches that have fruit. They have no fruit or the ones that have fruits, right? Jesus says the unfruitful branches are those people who claim the name of Jesus but are not true believers. They are cut off from the tree and as we will see later are burned in hell forever. But the fruitful branches, those that are true believers and have evidence that in bearing the fruits of the spirit are purged, that means cleansed or cut with a knife, so they can bring forth more fruit. In this parable, that would be the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, right? That's what Galatians teaches us. So there's people who claim that both claim the name of Jesus. Both call themselves Christians. But Jesus says that this side are not real Christians. The ones that bear no fruits... That's how you know that they're not real Christians because they have no fruit. But Jesus looks at these fruitful ones and says, these fruitful ones are true believers. And these fruitful ones, you know what happens when they bear fruit? The father comes and purges them. And he comes, so not that he just wants to hurt them, but he wants them to bring forth even more fruit. He sips the branch so the branch could be even better. Verse three, now ye are clean. Jesus to his disciples. You guys want to be disciples? You guys want to be true followers of Jesus Christ? Hope you do. Jesus says to his, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them that they are fit and cleansed for fruit bearing because of the word that was preached to them through him. The conviction and cutting of the preaching of the word of God is a wonderful thing. Yes, James. So when is this saying, like, you're being clean? Is it talking about, like, our hearts are, like... Ta- Jesus is talking... So when we purge, purging is cleansing. And cleansing is purging. Guys, so David prayed, um, purge me with hyssop that I should be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Jesus says, you have been purged. You have bore fruit, you have been purged, and now you are clean. He's removed things from them, and how did it happen? By the preaching of the word of God. Jesus says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And the conviction and the preaching of the word of God is how it was done. In the moment, 
preaching that hurts us. It hurts our egos. It makes us feel like we're not exactly who we thought we were before we came into the preaching. Before you approach the word of God, you feel a lot better about yourself sometimes than afterwards. And you know why? That's God's mercy and conviction. God is coming because he wants you to be a more fruitful tree. God wants you to not just have fruit, but have lots of fruit. For, for your whole tree of your life to just be full of the fruits of the Spirit. And Jesus says that the Father, He comes and He brings that to pass through purging. And Jesus says, you've been purged by the word that was from me. Jesus said some hard things. And we've already discovered that. Jesus said that if a man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says that to think lustful thoughts is to commit adultery. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus said that if a man, if he thinks of something that he wants, it's as if he's already coveted. Jesus says that if a man hates his brother in his heart, he's already a murderer. Jesus said some hard things, and those things were to purge his disciples, were to help those disciples get rid of the gunk in their hearts, to cut it up, to purge him so they could bear even more fruit and be more fruitful for the Father. Let's keep looking. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye, what's that next word, guys? Abide in me. Jesus' call of abiding is twofold. Two, two sides of this abiding. It is that Jesus would abide in us. This is salvation. When Jesus comes and saves us, we talked about this already, what does he do? He comes and he moves inside. Jesus says, I want to abide in you. Jesus' call of abiding is two. This is salvation. If you want to bear fruit, Brother Alex, I want to be a good Christian. Brother Alex, I want to be a true disciple. Brother Alex, I want to follow Jesus to my fullest extent. Well, the first step in discipleship is becoming a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, of truly accepting him in your heart. You can never, look at me guys, you can never be a true disciple without having true faith. Because true faith brings forth true fruit. And false faith, the most it can bring forth is nothing. As Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. What is that outside of the branch? If you peel it away from the vine, if you were to pick, I could duct tape that back up to the tree and it would dangle off, will it ever bear fruit? No, it never will. Because the branch without the vine is nothing. Jesus says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of its own unless it abide in the vine, so more can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Salvation is necessary for every true disciple. Jesus came and died for every soul and every person in this room. Don't look at that. I don't know why that's doing that again. Jesus came and died and suffered for every person in this room and every person on this planet. And if you refuse to come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's because you refuse. It's not because God rejected you. It's because you said, I don't want God's free gift of salvation. I don't want it. I'd rather have my own sin. I'd rather take my pleasure. I'd rather just follow my own way. I'd rather go to hell. That's really what you're deciding. When you decide to reject Jesus Christ, you decide to go to hell. That's what you decided. Jesus offers mercy to everyone in this room. Jesus, he came, he was born, and he lived perfectly. He was accused 
falsely. He suffered horrifically. He died suffering, but he rose triumphantly. Jesus Christ, he suffered, he bled, he died, he laid his life down on the cross, and then he rose again from the dead. Jesus said, I can lay my life down and I could also take it up again. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus came and he died and he suffered to pay for my sin and for your sin. Jesus loved us so much and to refuse that awesome gift is such a shame. It's a terrible thing. Not only are you going to hell, but you got to live here in sin thinking you're living it up. And you're really not. Because Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. Now, people who come to the water of life, they're thirsty, but they drink of it. And they find a well of water springing up in them of everlasting life. You can find true fulfillment You can find true fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is worth singing about. He's worth living for and he's worth accepting. I said he's worth accepting. The call of abiding is twofold. Ready? Here's the second half of it. For believers, it is that we should abide in him. He wants to abide in us. Abide in me and I in you. He says, I want to abide in you and I want you to abide in me. The word abide literally means to stay. That when, um, I think it was Andrew and John came to Jesus in John 1, they said, Lord, where dwellest thou? That's the same word that we find here for abide. That, Lord, we want to stay with you. This staying factor. Ready? If we were to boil down, Brother Alex, how can I, how can I stay with Jesus? Is Jesus going to leave me? No, 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 no. So when we're talking about abiding, we can bubble it down and boil it down to trusting and obeying. Guys, know this song? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still. And when we trust and obey, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about trusting him consistently and obeying him persistently. Trusting him consistently and obeying him persistently. This will be continual and persistent obeying and trusting. This is not always guaranteed in the life of even a true believer. I'll say this so nobody gets scared and think they're going to hell because they don't live a perfect life. All disciples, ready? Every disciple, everybody looking here, every disciple failed in their discipleship at some point. You name a disciple and I'll tell you that they forsook Jesus. Because that's what Jesus said, that all men will forsake me. That all of you, and guess what? They all did. They all left him. And even Peter, who followed him afar off, he, he was sitting at the campfire, and you guys know. And they asked, knowest thou, do you know the man? Hey, you were with Jesus. Hey, you were with Jesus. And Peter says what? Peter says, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. And then he cursed at a little girl and said, no, I don't know him. Crazy. Every disciple failed at some point in their discipleship journey. John the Baptist Jesus said, there's no man greater born of woman than John the Baptist. John the Baptist doubted if Jesus was the Messiah after preaching of him faithfully. Peter, and he took other disciples with him, left the ministry to go back to fishing. Jesus called him away from that life of fishing and say, from now on, you will catch men. Jesus said, if if you will follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And he left that path of discipleship to go back to the calling that he had before, his self-calling, back to fishing. 
Jesus has given these disciples, given these people that path of discipleship, and they started to walk on it, but then they went away from it. They looked back from the plowshare. They became unfit for the kingdom of God. Not that they lost their salvation, but they were no longer acting like Christians, and they all had to get back into line. So let me say this. When Jesus saves a man, he doesn't rent, he buys. Let me say that again. When Jesus saves a man or a woman, he doesn't rent, he buys. When Jesus comes to live inside, he became a permanent resident. You can never lose your salvation. Brother Alex, how do you know that? If you can't earn it, you can't lose it. No, we can't earn our salvation. Not a single good work I could do could earn the merit and grace and favor of God. No more can a bad work unearn that merit and favor. I am bought and purchased and sealed by the Holy Ghost of God. And if my sin was strong enough to unsave me, to get me out of heaven, to get my name blotted out of the book of life, that would mean that my sin was stronger than God. And we know that, hey, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Verse five, everybody. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Jesus, after restating our positions, he's the vine. We are the what, guys? Branches. Then he gives us a promise. That if we are true believers with him living inside of us and we faithfully and persistently obey and trust him, we will, that's a promise, we will bear much fruit. It will be evident to everyone that knows us that we are believers, that we have a true vine living in us. His fruits will be so visible because the fruit that does start on the inside through the vine does work its way outside and is visible to those who walk by. Verse six, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them up and cast them into the fire. That's hell. And they are burned. Those are false believers and they bear no fruit. They are dead and withered. When I get saved, Jesus brought me from death to life. From death to life. Jesus, when he saved me, he brought me from death to life. So this branch is a dead branch. That means it's a lost one. And you know what you do with a bunch of dead branches? You gather them up, you put them in a big pile, and you burn them. And Jesus says in in allegory here, that's what's going to happen with all those who falsely proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. There will be those in heaven who are the chaff and not the wheat. There will be those, chaff is the stuff that looks just like wheat. Right? It's the tares. Actually, I'm sorry, tares, not chaff. It's the, ta- it's the, the tares that look just like wheat. Instead, they're weeds. And they are separated. And the Lord will put his great sickle in the earth. And he will finally separate all those false believers from the true believers. And those false believers will go to hell forever because they never made a true profession. They never truly believed in Jesus Christ. They were just lip service. They weren't true worshipers of the Father. Jesus will send them to hell. He loved them. He didn't want them to have to go there. They chose it themselves. But every righteous one, every true sheep, every true child of God, everyone who came to Christ in true faith, he will gather them up and put them in the barn of heaven. He will bring them that where he is, there they may be also. He has a place prepared for them. Let me say this again, that Jesus does not want any of us to go to hell We can invite the Father to come and divinely implant 
the vine in all of us if you will receive him by faith. If ye abide in me, verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Notice that. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. That's prayer for true believers. The abiding trust and obedience in Christ coupled with the letting of his word fill our minds and change the way we think come with divine answers to prayer. Why doesn't God answer my prayers, Brother Alex? Brother Alex, I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Let me ask you this. How's your obedience? How is your obedience? Brother Alex, I want to have answers to prayer. I'm praying for this and I'm praying for this and I'm praying for this. Well, how is your obedience? How is your trusting? Do you trust God? Have you been trusting him? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, the Bible teaches us. If you're living a life that is absent from faith, may I suggest that there is more sin in your life that you think than you think that there is. What are you trusting God for? Are you obeying? When God tells you to do something, you listen to preaching like this, you read your own Bible, and God presses something on your heart. And he says, you need to do this. Do you do it? I didn't ask, do you have good intentions to do it? I asked, do you do it? Abiding is obeying and trusting consistently. Do you obey God's word? Do you obey what God tells you to do? You want divine answers to prayer? Does God's word fill your mind and shape your mind so that the things you ask for are also the things that he wants? You cannot separate the principle from the promise. A lot of people, they want lots of answers to prayer. And they pray and they pray and they pray. And they just think that God must not be hearing my prayers or God just must not like me. But we we separate the principle from the promise. In promises in the Bible, when you find God's promises for provision or God's promises for direction, there's always a principle. There's always something you must do that is attached to the promise. Can I have everybody look in here and phones under the chair? I'll read your verses from now on. Everybody, phones under the chairs, please. Awesome sauce. Thank you. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? How's your obedience? Does the Bible fill your mind and shape your mind so that the things you ask for are also the things that he wants? You cannot separate the principle from the promise. You want answers to prayer? Pray for the things that are God's will. He will, not, he will never justly allow any other thing. I'm almost done, guys. Eight minutes, all right? You want answers to prayer? Obey and trust him. God will not reward rebellious children with answers to prayer. Let me say that again. God will not reward rebellious children with answers to prayer. Herein is my Father glorified. Verse 8. That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. How do I glorify God? How do I give others the correct opinion of God? That's what glorify God. To glorify God is to give others the correct opinion of who God is. So, Brother Alex, how will bearing much fruit give God glory? Let me explain it this way. In our world, if anybody goes on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, turns on the news or anything, we see these people who wear cross necklaces, those celebs, right? They go to these giant mega churches. They claim the name of Jesus. They get get crosses tattooed on their arms and they live horrific lifestyles that do not match up one single bit with the word of God. They live rebelliously. They do not obey God, but yet they claim God's name Anyway, 
You know what the world sees when they see them? They say, God's not real because if God was real, that guy who said that, oh, Jesus Christ is my savior, his life would match his savior. Mahatma Gandhi, right? You guys know who Gandhi is? Gandhi, he was a, a big philosopher out in India, very, very famous. And he said that, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. I, Gandhi even went on to say that he would be a Christian if it weren't for other Christians because there's so little like our Christ. That's such a terrible thing. And it's honestly exactly the way it is today. That's so, so little, so little of the time. Our Christians look like our Christ. We don't, we don't act like Jesus. We don't follow in his steps. We don't obey him. He gives us commands and we just completely forsake. How big do you have to think you are to disobey God? God is so big and mighty and strong and awesome and powerful. And he could squash us like a bug if it pleased him so. How big do you think you are to disobey God? How big do I think I am to just disobey him? And just like, Lord, I don't want to do that. Oh God, I just don't feel like doing that. No, I really, like that really doesn't make you know, sense for what I really want to do. How big do you have to be in your own mind to just, no, nah, I don't really want to do that. You know, the devils, they obey God. Did you know that? Literally, unclean spirits, the Bible teaches us, that they obey God. Do you know, wind and water obey God. So why do God's enemies obey him? I mean, think about Satan. Satan in the book of Job, that he was subject to God. He literally had to only go to the parameters that God had laid out for him. And he went no further than them. How is it that those who claim to be God's children just so, just so nonchalantly rebel against our father who gave his only son for us? How is it that we think we are so large in comparison to God? How is that we bring God down so small that we make him eye to eye? That we give God as much quality time as I want to give him. And I only do the things that I want to do for God. That I don't care about God's word. It's just another book. How, how can you really think, if that's, if that's your mentality, how can you really think that you're right with God? How can you really think that? We all need a... We all need a checkup from the neck up, all of us. Whether you're saved or lost, even the saved get this way sometimes. Our, our hearts become callous and hard, and we stop appreciating the Bible and the message that it has for us. And we stop appreciating the word of God. And the devils, they believe and tremble, but the, the child of God, the Christian, has no fear of God. That we just disobey God, and we think we're just going to get away with it. What's God going to do? God's not going to do anything, because God's not going to do anything, because I just know. Because, I mean, I can't see it. I haven't felt anything. So, God, you know, I'm just going to disobey God. There's not going to be any consequences. Where's our fear of God, guys? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we have a lot of people in this world who have zero wisdom, and they look at us, at believers, who look nothing like our Christ. You know what? They say, well, if they look nothing like their Christ and they say they believe in their Christ, then their Christ is nothing. Then they say our Christ is nothing. But the believer, look at me, this is encouraging. The believer who bears much fruit, the world walks by the tree of that fruit and says, what a gardener. What a vine. That vine's got a lot of nutrients. That's, that's one healthy tree. That's got a lot of fruit. And that guy has a lot of gentleness, a lot of love. Oh, he's got a lot of faith. 
so much meekness. Oh, she, she's a pretty girl, but she's got so much meekness and humility. She just looks so much like her Christ. That glorifies our Father. And that's how we become true disciples when we bear much fruit and we glorify our Father. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'm almost done. Verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. One commentator says this, as deeply, as purely, as fully, as eternally, and with all the unnameable perfectness which must belong to the divine affection, does Christ declare that he loves us. Jesus loves us so deeply and tenderly and passionately. He tells us how we can reciprocate this love to him. Would you like to know how you can show Christ the love that he's shown you? Would you like to love God back? Would you like to know, Lord, how can I love you back? You've loved me so deeply as your father has loved you. And as you have loved your father, you've loved me in the same exact way. How can I love you back, God? How, how can I love you? How can I serve you best? He says it's verse 10 and we're done. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in in his love. Obedience to God is the way we reciprocate God's love for us. Obedience to God is our way of reciprocating God's love to us. I'm done. If you guys are lost, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to 